And to finish up the night, we are very happy to have back Ben McKenzie, a writer-performer whose solo work has always had a scientific flavour. His current projects include the final season of an improvised adventure show, Dungeon Crawl, and a city-wide interactive theatre game based on Julius Caesar with pop-up playground and Bell Shakespeare called Hashtag True Romans All, which will be coming somewhere around Melbourne in October. And also the sci-fi comedy audio series Night Ter- Terrace, in which he will star alongside Neighbours star Jackie Woodburn. He also works as a voiceover artist, presenter and actor. His favourite dinosaur is the Stegosaurus. Ben. Thanks very much. Um, I just want to apologise for everyone watching on Twitter. I'm, I'm sure that I misheard Sarah earlier and I tweeted that it was Gertrude Elliott that you were talking about. I'm pretty sure that's the wrong name, so please give me an angry correction if you're watching the Twitter stream. Uh, but she did mention, when she was talking about Gertrude, whatever her actual last name is, sorry, I was sitting at the back, um, that one of her favourite quotes was about torpedoes. And that kind of leads into what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, I always start when I talk... I've, I've, done, I've been privileged enough to be here at the Laboratory once before, and I feel because I, the company that I'm in that it's important that I admit to you that I am not a qualified scientist uh, in any way. In fact, I usually refer to myself as a scientician, which is a word that I made up to make sure I don't get sued under the Trades Descriptions Act <laughs> when I talk about science in public, uh, which I try to do fairly often. Um, But tonight I do want to talk about one of my all-time science heroes who, ever since I found out about her and started learning about her life, um, is just one of my favourite human beings who has ever lived. But I want to start with a question. Who here has got a smartphone? Show of hands. Okay. Uh, Who's got a dumb phone? That's what they call them now. You know that, right? Don't feel bad, though. Yours all outlast ours for (laughs) order of magnitude. Uh, Anyone got a Bluetooth device currently on? I'm wearing one because I live in the future and I'm a nerd. Um, and we, li- yeah, we live in the future. Now, you might not realize it, but all these devices only function in part because of the work of a Hollywood star who lived in the 1940s. Her name was Hedwig Eva Maria Keisler. And no, she wasn't an owl and she wasn't a drag queen. Although Hedwig is a good name for both. She was born in 1914 in Vienna. She was the only child of a pianist from Budapest and a banker from Lemberg, which was a city in Poland at the time. Now it's got a different name and it's in the Ukraine because it was Eastern Europe. You might have heard of her by her more famous name, Hedy Lamar. And while parts of this story might seem fantastic, I guarantee you I have made none of this up. Although some of my sources might, it's fair to say. But as far as I know, this is all true. Hedy began her film career when she was just 15, and almost from the beginning, uh, she was controversial. When she was 18, she appeared in a film called Ecstasy. This was a Czech film. It was directed by a man named Gustav Makati. The title alone was pretty shocking in 1933, but its subject matter went even further. Hedy played a young woman who married a much older man, but left that passionless relationship and sought... Well, the clue's in the title, really. Uh, ecstasy. And, and, you know, this was 1933, so we're not talking about any illicit substances that chemists might or might not make. 
Now, this film was scandalous because it showed images of her swimming and running through the countryside naked. But despite the fact that it's often cited as such, this was not the first motion picture to have a nude scene. That happened about 20 years earlier because, you know, we're human beings. And when we invent a new media, we find a way to make it about sex. But this is a landmark that that film does actually have a record that it really is responsible for. And I think this says something about Hedy Lamarr as a person and her beliefs and passions. Ecstasy was probably the first non-pornographic movie that depicted sexual intercourse and particularly a female orgasm. Although in those scenes you only saw the actors' faces. It was 1933. And um, the fact that you only saw their faces is how you know it was non-pornographic, right? Her first husband was named Fritz Mandel. He was the third richest man in Austria. He was a munitions manufacturer, and he was a prominent Austro-fascist. Uh, despite the name, Austro-fascism has nothing to do with Nazism. Instead, it's rather a sort of a cross between Italian fascism and political Catholicism, which was a big deal in the area at the time. And these guys, the Austro-fascists, they disliked Marxism, they disliked liberal capitalism, they disliked Western democracy. They're pretty hard to please, essentially. Didn't like anything. Now, despite the fact that the sex in the film Ecstasy was entirely simulated, and apparently it was simulated by the director helping, but only by poking Hetty in the bottom with a safety pin, her husband Mandel felt it was exploitative of her, even though she was into it and doing it on the film. And supposedly, the story goes, he tried to buy up every print in existence of Ecstasy even the one owned by his fascist buddy and munitions customer, Mussolini. Mussolini wouldn't sell his, and you can still find the film today. And as that last story might suggest, Mandel was a controlling, jealous husband who put a stop to Hedy's film career and kept her virtually locked up in a castle. No, that's true, a castle. The castle was their home. It was called Schloss Schwarzenau. It was built originally in the 12th century and in 2001 it went up for sale and was valued at 5.1 million euros. I told you she lived a life that you couldn't believe, right? Now the castle was also the venue for lavish parties, including ones attended by her husband's good buddy, Adolf Hitler. And one of the few reasons Mandel let Hetty out of the place was only so she could accompany him to conferences to discuss military technology. And this was how she was exposed to applied science and engineering. Now, there are some sources, and I couldn't verify this, that describe her as a mathematical prodigy, but I have no idea if that's true. But what we do know is that when she started to learn about engineering and applied science, she found it fascinating. And she was smart. She got it. She picked up stuff. And having learned a bit of stuff, she decided she'd had enough of her abusive husband. And the story goes that she persuaded him to let her wear all her finest jewellery to a dinner. And then she disguised herself as her own maid and fled to Paris. And from there she went to London. And in London she met a famous film producer called Louis B. Mayer. He had of course heard of her because whilst the most famous film and most successful film in 1933 was the original version of King Kong, everyone was talking about ecstasy. But the problem was that nobody really called her by her name. She was known at the time, more or less universally, as the ecstasy lady. So he told her to change her name when she auditioned to work in Hollywood films and a star was born. She had five other husbands. She made 26 films in Hollywood over the next 20 years. She didn't put her career on hold, even briefly, when she was having her three children. 
And she earned a new nickname, the most beautiful woman in film. And it's said that her profile was the most requested one to plastic surgeons in the 1940s. But honestly, who cares all about all that stuff? Let's get to the sexy science part. <laughs> In 1941, Hedy was at a Hollywood party and she met a man named George Anthiel, a German-American. He was an avant-garde composer and a character with a life almost as exciting as Hedy Lamarr's. He experimented with automated musical instruments. He faked his own disappearance to help publicize a performance. He collaborated in mysterious ways with experimental filmmakers, including the famous Man Ray, wrote a mystery novel under the pseudonym Stacy Bishop, and in a magazine column, supposedly accurately predicted the development and outcome of World War II. His best-selling autobiography published in 1945 was titled, Bad Boy of Music. <laughs> I think you can see why the two of them got along, right? Now, Hedy and George had a passionate discussion about protecting United States radio-guided torpedoes from any enemy interference, as you do. But, you know, it was a Hollywood party in 1941. Everyone was talking about the war. But these guys were smart. And so they started talking about the problems actually faced, the technological problems faced by Allied troops, and particularly torpedoes fired by United States ships. They realized they might be able to fix this problem. And the story goes that Hetty scrawled her number in lipstick on the windshield of George's car so they could develop their ideas further. Now, torpedoes were controlled by radio signals so they could be steered towards their targets. This is part of what made them such a deadly weapon. But at the time, they used simple, single-frequency transmissions, which could easily be blocked if the enemy could work out the frequency being used. Now, together, George and Hetty came up with the idea of frequency hopping. This meant changing the frequency transmitted to the torpedo so that the signal couldn't be blocked by a single-frequency interference signal. The trick was that the frequency had to change frequently, try saying that five times fast, unpredictably and preferably have a large number of possible settings. But it couldn't actually be random or the torpedo wouldn't know how to receive the signals. Their inspiration came from the player piano, the ones with piano rolls in them that play themselves. They could make a transmitter that would use a punched paper tape to hop between 88 different frequencies, because there are 88 keys on a piano, in an unpredictable fashion, since it needn't be based on a numerical or logical sequence, and could, although as far as I know, this wasn't part of their design, uh, be based on a piece of music, though what APRA would have to say about that, I'm not sure. Now, installing a similar system in the torpedo would allow it to know which frequency to receive. It was a genius idea. Right. And on August 11, 1942, the pair were awarded U.S. patent number 2,292,387. They patented a lot of things in America. And in fact, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to look this one up, but if you ever get a chance, look through the U.S. patent archive. It is full of some of the most amazingly ridiculous things you have ever seen. But despite the genius of this patent, the U.S. Navy didn't like it and they didn't use it. At least, they didn't use it in World War II. But they did use it in 1962 during the blockage of Cuba, when the patent had expired. <laughs> I should hasten to add, they didn't actually put piano rolls in torpedoes, though. They used a slightly more sophisticated plan in 1962. Now, there are other similar patents along pretty similar lines, uh, including one registered by Nikola Tesla in 1902. But it's Lamar and Anthil's work that is most often cited as the important basis for what we now know as spread spectrum communication technology. 
No, no one ever used piano rolls. The basic idea of a prearranged pseudo-random sequence that determines how a signal is spread over multiple frequencies, or there are other related techniques that use other means, is still used today. For example, in the 802.11 Wi-Fi standard, which your Wi-Fi router uses at home. It's used in Bluetooth. It's used in CDMA, which is that older mobile phone technology which is largely being phased out pretty much everywhere except in the United States. Hedy Lamarr's involvement might still not be well known, but it might have gone entirely unheralded if not for the work of Dave Hughes. No, not the Australian comedian, Dave Hughes. A different Dave Hughes, a previous award recipient and online activist based in Colorado. Now, his previous award was due in part to his online campaigning, and it came from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, who in 1997 honoured Hedy and George with a special award presented at their sixth annual Pioneer Awards. And when told she was being officially recognised for her part in creating a world-changing technology 55 years after the fact, Hedy Lamarr reportedly said, it's about time. <laughs> in Hedy's later years, she was arrested for shoplifting twice. She reportedly had much trouble with money, although she claimed to have calculated that in her lifetime, during her career, she had earned and spent more than $30 million. She sued Mel Brooks for using a parody of her name in the film Blazing Saddles. She sued software company Corel for using an image of her on the box of its popular Corel Draw software. Does anyone remember when software came in boxes? Both successfully, although the negotiation was never disclosed. She died in the year 2000, at the age of 85, from heart problems. And her ashes were spread by one of her sons in the Vienna woods. But I like to think that every day, transmitting from thousands, if not millions of devices, we are all surrounded by the legacy of Hedy Lamarr, who surely is the only person who could find a way to top being the first woman to simulate an orgasm on film. Thank you.